Welcome to the first Bear Marriage Podcast of 2023. Yay! Yay. Happy New Year, everyone. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from bearmarriage.com, where we like to talk about healthy, evidence-based biblical advice for your sex life and your marriage. And I am joined today by my daughter, Rebecca Lindenbach. Hello. And there'll be some other guests along the way. This is going to be sort of a a different podcast. Mm -hmm. We have, have, my mom is going to make an appearance. Yes. I don't think that's, has that happened? Yes. Yes. And, And we're going to, we're going to get some fiction into this podcast. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be awesome. Before we do that, though, a couple of really cool things I just want to share with you about 2022. So we hit almost 900,000 downloads of the Bear Marriage podcast last year. Just one year. In just one year. It took us three years. If you remember last December 31st, we got a million to a million downloads. Mm -hmm. So it took us three years to get to a million. And then in just this last year alone, we almost got to a million. Yeah. Yeah, so So thank you to everyone who listens to our little podcast that we do in our, in my old childhood bedroom. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> we really appreciate you tuning in every week. I asked Connor, your husband who mm-hmm. works for me to pull up our top podcast and top posts of the year. I was just curious. And do you want to guess, do you know the answer? The top podcast in the last year? Yeah. I don't know. It was an interview. It was an interview. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. I, I honestly don't know which one. It, it was Alyssa Wakefield's. Re- oh, that Green makes so much of sense. Of marriage, a really good that podcast, makes so a much sense. podcast. So I will put a link in there. That was our number one download. It was really, it was really an interesting mm-hmm. one. Um, and the number one post was the two different kinds of marital rape in evangelicalism. Yeah. That was close to the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And still was one of the most popular. Yeah. Yeah. It, even though I didn't have as much time. Because usually <laughs> our most popular posts are like from a couple of months in the past. Right. Because it take, it gets more likes and views and stuff over time. Right. Yeah. But something yeah. in like December, November. Mm-hmm. Wow. So really struck a chord. And it reminds me as we think about what Alyssa Wakefield and two different kinds of marital rape have in common is that we have just untangled this huge yes. tangled mess of bad theology that is hurting people. Mm-hmm. That's what we were talking about in the Great Sex Rescue. Coming up in 2023, we're so excited. In just four months, our new book, She Deserves Better, is launching. Yes. About how we can help protect our daughters from these toxic teachings. Yeah. How we can do better for the next generation. Yeah. Because we need to stop this. We need to stop. We need to stop bailing out the boat and just fix the hole that's causing the water yeah. to rush in. Yeah. And, and we know that there are certain theologies that lead to men, especially feeling entitled Mm -hmm. to women's labor, to sex, to whatever, and to women feeling like second class, Mm -hmm. like I exist only to serve and I can't speak up for myself. Mm -hmm. And my relationship with God is somehow tainted because of that. Mm -hmm. And so we know these things happen. We know these things hurt marriage. We've measured it. Yes. (laughs) We have measured it. This is what we've spent our life doing is doing research on how these things hurt. But the question is, what do we do about it? Exactly. And so I want to read to you one a, a great book, The Making of Biblical Womanhood yeah. by Beth Allison Barr. She was on our podcast back in 2021. Mm-hmm. She talked about how the whole concept of biblical womanhood is flawed. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't go into her arguments about it. You can listen into the podcast to, to find out about that. But I want, I want to read you just one bit at the very end of the book. She says, biblical womanhood is Christian patriarchy. The only reason it continues to flourish is because women and men, just like you and me, continue to support it. What if we all stopped supporting it? Yeah. So she asked that question, what would happen if we all stopped? And 120 years ago, 
a very beloved Canadian author answered that question. Mm -hmm. What would happen if we all just stopped? Lucy Maud Montgomery, who wrote Anne of Green Gables, also wrote a short story called The Strike at Putney, which is now in the public domain. Mm -hmm. And I have invited my mother to read it for us. So I hope you really enjoy this part of the podcast. This is one of my favorite short stories of all time. I think you will love it. So here we go. Answering Beth Allison Barr's question, what would happen if we all just stopped? Here is Lucy Mon Montgomery's The Strike at Putney. By the Canadian author Lucy Maud Montgomery, written in 1903. The church at Putney was one that gladdened the hearts of all the ministers in the presbytery whenever they thought about it. It was such a satisfactory church. While other churches here and there were continually giving trouble in one way or another, the Putneyites were never guilty of brewing up internal or presbyterial strife. The Exeter church people were always quarreling among themselves and carrying their quarrels to the courts of the church. The very name of Exeter gave the members of the presbytery the cold creeps, but the Putney people never quarreled. Danbridge Church was in a chronic state of ministerlessness. No minister ever stayed at Danbridge longer than he could help. The people were far too critical, and they were also noted heresy hunters. Good ministers fought shy of Danbridge, and the poor ones met with a chill welcome. The harassed presbytery, worn out with supplying, were disposed to think that the millennium would come if ever the Danbridgians got a minister whom they liked. At Putney, they had had the same minister for 15 years and hoped and expected to have him for 15 more. They looked with horror-stricken eyes at Danbridge theological coquetries. Bloom Valley Church was over head and heels in debt and had no visible prospect of ever getting out. The moderator said under his breath that they did ever much praying and too little hoeing. He did not believe in faith without works. Tarrytown Road kept its head above water, but never had a cent to spare for missions or the schemes of the church. In bright, shining contradistinction to these, the Putney Church had always paid its way and gave liberally to all departments of church work. If other springs of supply ran dry, the Putneyites enthusiastically got up a tea or a social and so raised the money. Naturally, the heft of this work fell on the women, but they did not mind. In very truth, they enjoyed it. The Putney women had the reputation of being great church workers, and they plumed themselves on it, putting on airs at conventions among the less energetic women of the other churches. They were especially strong on societies. There was the Church Aid Society, the Girls' Flower Band, and the Sewing Circle. There was the Mission Band and a Helping Hand among the children. And finally, there was the Women's Foreign Missionary Auxiliary, out of which the whole trouble grew which convulsed the church at Putney for a brief time, and furnished a standing joke in presbyterial circles for years afterwards. To this day, ministers and elders tell the story of the Putney church strike with sparkling eyes and subdued chuckles. It never grows old or stale. 
But the Putney elders are an exception. They never laugh at it. They never refer to it. It is not in the wicked, unregenerate heart of a man to make jest of his own bitter defeat. It was in June that the secretary of the Putney WFM Auxiliary wrote to a noted returned missionary who was touring the country, asking her to give an address on mission work before their society. Mrs. Cotterell wrote back saying that her brief time was so taken up already that she hardly found time to make room for further engagements, but she could not refuse the Putney people who were so well and favorably known in mission circles for their perennial interest in liberality. So although she could not come on the date requested, she would, if acceptable, come the following Sunday. This suited the Putney Auxiliary very well. On the Sunday referred to, there was to be no evening service in the church owing to Mr. Sinclair's absence. They therefore appointed the missionary meeting for that night and made arrangements to hold it in the church itself, as the classroom was too small for the expected audience. Then the thunderbolt descended on the WFMA of Putney from a clear sky. The elders of the church rose up to a man and declared that no woman should occupy the pulpit of the Putney Church. This was in direct contravention to the teachings of St. Paul. To make matters worse, Mr. Sinclair declared himself on the elders' side. He said that he could not conscientiously give his consent to a woman occupying his pulpit even when the woman was Mrs. Cotterell, and her subject, foreign missions. The members of the auxiliary were aghast. They called a meeting extraordinary in the classroom and, discarding all forms and ceremonies in their wrath, talked their indignation out. Out of doors, the world basked in June sunshine and preed itself in blossom. The birds sang and chirped in the lichen maples that cupped the little church in, and peace was all over Putney Valley. Inside the classroom, disgusted women buzzed like angry bees. What on earth are we to do? sighed the secretary plaintively. Mary Kilborn was always plaintive. She sat on the steps of the platform, being too wrought up in her mind to sit in the chair at the desk and her thin, faded little face was twisted with anxiety. All the arrangements are made, and Mrs. Cotterell is coming on the 10th. How can we tell her that the men won't let her speak? There was never anything like this in Putney Church before, groaned Mrs. Elder Knox. It was Andrew McKittrick put them up to it. I always said that man would make trouble here yet, ever since he moved to Putney from Danbridge. I've talked and argued with Thomas until I'm dumb, but he's set as a rock. I don't see what business the men have to interfere with us anyhow, said her daughter Lucy, who was sitting in one of the window sills. We don't meddle with them, I'm sure, as if Mrs. Cotterell would contaminate the pulpit. One would think we were still in the dark ages, said Frances Spenslow sharply. Frances was the Putney school teacher. 
Her father was one of the recalcitrant elders, and Frances felt it bitterly, all the more that she could have tried to argue with him, and he had sat upon as a child who wouldn't understand. "'I'm more surprised at Mr. Sinclair than at the elders,' said Mrs. Abner Keach, fanning herself vigorously. "'Elders are subject to queer spells periodically.' They think they assert their authority that way. But Mr. Sinclair has always seemed so liberal and broad-minded. You can never tell what old bachelor will take into his head, said Aletha Craig bitterly. The others nodded in agreement. Mr. Sinclair's celibacy was a standing grievance with the Putney women. If he had a wife who would be our president, this would have never happened, I warrant you, said Mrs. King sagely. But what are we going to do, ladies, said Mrs. Robbins briskly. Mrs. Robbins was the president. She was a big, bustling woman with clear blue eyes, incisive ways. Hitherto she had held her peace. They must talk themselves out before they can get down to business, she had reflected sagely, but she thought the time had come now to speak. We can talk and rage against the men all day if we like. They are not trying to prevent us, but that will do no good. Here's Mrs. Cottrell invited and all the neighboring auxiliaries notified, and the men won't let us have the church. The point is, how are we going to get out of this scrape? A helpless silence descended upon the classroom. The eyes of every woman present turned to Myra Wilson. Everyone could talk, but when it came to action, they had a fashion of turning to Myra. She had a reputation for cleverness and originality. She never talked much, but so far today she had not said a word. She was sitting on the sill of a window across from Lucy Knox. She swung her hat on her knee, and loose, moist rings of dark hair curled around her dark, alert face. There was a sparkle in her gray eyes that boded ill to the men who were peaceably pursuing their avocations, rashly indifferent to what the women might be saying in the maple-shaded classroom. "'Have you a suggestion to make, Miss Wilson?' asked Mrs. Robbins, with a return to her official voice and manner. Myra put her long, slender index finger to her chin. I think, she said decidedly, that we must strike. When Elder Knox went in to tea that evening, he glanced somewhat apprehensively at his wife. They had had an altercation before she went to the meeting, and he supposed that she had talked herself into another rage while there. But Mrs. Knox was placid and smiling. She had made his favorite soda biscuits for him and inquired amiably after his progress in hoeing turnips in the southeast meadow. She made, however, no reference to the auxiliary meeting, and when the biscuits and maple syrup and two cups of matchless tea had nerved the elder up, his curiosity got the better of his prudence for even elders are human, and curiosity knows no gender, and he asked what they had done at the meeting. We poor men have been shaking in our shoes, he said facetiously. Were you? Mrs. Knox's voice was calm and faintly amused. Well, you needn't to. 
we talked the matter over very quietly and came to the conclusion the session knows best and that women hadn't any right to interfere in church business at all. Lucy Knox turned her head away to hide a smile. The elder beamed. He was a peace-loving man and disliked ructions of any sort and domestic ones in particular. Since the decision of the session, Mrs. Knox had made his life a burden to him. He did not understand her sudden change of base, but he accepted it very thankfully. That's right, that's right, he said heartily. I'm glad to hear you came out so sensibly, Maria. I was afraid you'd work yourself up at the meeting and let Myra Wilson or Aletha Craig put you up to some foolishness or another. Well, I guess I'll just jog down to the corner this evening and order that barrel of pastry flour you want. Oh, you needn't, said Mrs. Knox indifferently. We won't be needing it now. Not needing it? But I thought you said you had to have some to bake for the social week after next. There isn't going to be a social. Not a social? Elder Knox stared perplexedly at his wife. A month previously, the Putney Church had been recarpeted, and they still owed fifty dollars for it. This, the women declared, they would speedily pay off by a big cake and ice cream social in the hall. Mrs. Knox had been one of the foremost promoters of the enterprise. Not any social, repeated the elder again. Then how is the money for the carpet to be got, and why isn't there going to be a social? The men can get the money somehow, I suppose, said Mrs. Knox. As for the social, why, of course, if women aren't good enough to speak in church, they're not good enough to work for it either. Lucy, dear, will you pass me the cookies? Lucy, dear, passed the cookies and then rose abruptly and left the table. Her father's face was too much for her. What confounded nonsense is this? demanded the elder explosively. Mrs. Knox opened her mellow brown eyes widely, as if in amazement at her husband's tone. I don't understand you, she said. Our position is perfectly logical. She had borrowed that phrase from Myra Wilson, and it floored the elder. He got up, seized his hat, and strode from the room. That night, at Jacob Warrison's store at the corner, the Putney men talked over the new development. The social was certainly off, for a time anyway. Best let him alone, I say, said Warrison. They're mad at us now, and doing this to pay us out. But they'll cool down later on, and we'll have the social all right. But if they don't, said Andrew McKittrick gloomily, who is going to pay for the carpet? That was an unpleasant question. The others shirked it. I was always opposed to this action of the session, said Alex Craig. It wouldn't have hurt to let the woman speak. Tisn't as if it was a regular sermon. The session knows best, said Andrew sharply. And the minister... You're not going to set your opinion up against his, are you, Craig? Didn't know they taught such reverence for ministers in Danbridge, retorted Craig with a laugh. Best let him alone, as Warrison says, said Abner Keach. Don't see what else we can do, said John Wilson shortly. On Sunday morning, the men were conscious of a bare, deserted appearance of the church. Mr. Sinclair perceived it himself, 
after some inward wondering, he concluded that it was because there was no flowers anywhere. The table before the pulpit was bare. On the organ, a vase held a sorry, faded bouquet left over from the previous week. The floor was unswept. Dust lay thickly on the pulpit Bible, the quiet chairs, and the pewbacks. This church looks disgraceful, said John Robbins in an angry undertone to his daughter Polly, who was president of the flower band. What in the name of common sense is the good of your flower banders if you can't keep the place looking decent? There is no flower band now, father, Polly whispered in turn. We've disbanded. Women haven't any business to meddle in church matters. You know the session said so. It was well for Polly that she was too big to have her ears boxed. Even so, it might not have saved her if they had been anywhere else other than in church. Meanwhile, the men who were sitting in the choir, three basses and two tenors, were beginning to dimly suspect that there was something amiss here too. Where were the sopranos and the altos? Myra Wilson and Letha Craig and several other members of the choir were sitting down in their pews with perfectly unconscious faces. Myra was looking out the window into the tangled sunlight and shadow of the great maples. Aletha Craig was reading her Bible. Presently, Frances Spenslow came in. Frances was organist, but today, instead of walking up to the platform, she slipped demurely into her father's pew at one side of the pulpit. Even Craig, who was the Putney singing master and felt himself responsible for the choir, fidgeted uneasily. He tried to catch Frances's eye, but she was absorbed in reading the mission report she had found in the rack, and Eben was finally forced to tiptoe down to the Spenslow's pew and whisper, Miss Spenslow, the minister is waiting for the doxology. Aren't you going to take the organ? Frances looked up calmly. Her clear, placid voice was audible not only to those in the nearby pews, but to the minister. No, Mr. Craig, you know if a woman isn't fit to speak in the church, she can't be fit to sing in it either. Even Craig looked exceedingly foolish. He tiptoed gingerly back to his place. The minister, with an unusual flush on his thin, aesthetic face, rose suddenly and gave out the opening hymn. Nobody who heard the singing in Putney Church that day ever forgot it. Untrained basses and tenors, unrelieved by a single female voice, are not inspiring. There were no announcements of society meetings for the forthcoming week. On the way home from church that day, irate husbands and fathers scolded, argued, or pleaded according to their several dispositions. One and all they met with the same statement. If a noble, self-sacrificing woman like Mrs. Cotterell was not good enough to speak in the Putney church, Ordinary, everyday women could not be fit to take any part whatever in its work. Sunday school that afternoon was a harrowing failure. Out of all the corps of teachers, only one was a man, and he alone was at his post. 
In the Christian Endeavor meeting on Tuesday night, the feminine element sat dumb and unresponsive. The Putney women never did things by halves. The men held out for two weeks. At the end of that time, they happened to meet at the manse and talked the matter over with the harassed minister. Elder Knox said gloomily, It's this way. Nothing can move them women. I know, for I've tried. My authority's been set at naught in my own household, and I'm laughed at if I show my face in any of the other settlements. The Sunday school superintendent said that the Sunday school was going to rack and ruin, also the Christian endeavor. The condition of church for dust was something scandalous, and strangers were making a mockery of the singing. And the carpet had to be paid for, He supposed they would have to let the women have their own way. The next Sunday evening after service, Mr. Sinclair arose hesitatingly. His face was flushed, and Aletha Craig always declared that he looked just plain everyday cross. He announced briefly that the session after due deliberation had concluded that Mrs. Cotterell might occupy the pulpit on the Sunday evening appointed for her address. The women all over the church smiled broadly. Frances Benslow got up and went to the organ stool. The singing of the last hymn was good and hearty. Going down the steps after dismissal, Mrs. Elder Knox caught the secretary of the church aide by the arm. I guess... She whispered anxiously, You'd better call a special meeting of the aides at my house tomorrow afternoon. If we're to get that social over before haying begins, we've got to do some smart scurrying. The strike in the Putney Church was over. Thank you, Mom. That was three generations of Ray women on this podcast. <laughs> I love her voice too. Yeah. And now she everyone does. can have a bit of a glimpse of what my childhood sounded like. Yes. All exactly. the stories. <laughs> exactly. And we have now invited a Gregoire man onto the podcast. My husband, Keith, is recording downstairs. We're upstairs. You're downstairs. Hi, baby. <laughs> hey, everyone. And we thought that we could just talk about what would happen if we all just stopped. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the strike at Putney, it reminds me of a real story from Iceland. Mm-hmm. Okay. 24th, October, 1975, yeah. 90% of the women in the country decided to go on strike. 90%. 90%. That's they, they originally, they tried to call it the women's strike and they couldn't get enough support. So they changed the name to the women's day off. along with it so they didn't go to work they didn't look after the kids they didn't do housework amazing um and it was it was so funny because uh like when you're listening to the radio or watching tv news there would be kids running around in the background you'd hear kids voices because they all had to take the kids to work and apparently the grocery stores ran out of sausages by like 10 o'clock in the morning because it was one of the few things that that men could cook easily that kids liked. Yeah, because the reason that these were going on strike is because their unpaid work was also being taken advantage of, right? Right. I well, remember. Yeah, because there was this whole conversation about how women just weren't as important. And yeah. so the women said, well, what would happen if we took the day off? <laughs> um, and while it is known as the Women's Day Off, the men had a different name for it. Yeah. It was called the Long Friday. <laughs> the Long Friday. <laughs> 
And you know, five years after that, a woman won the presidency. Yeah, because and people understood that you can't just take women for granted, right? Yeah. They actually yeah. do work too. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of a story when I was a kid. I remember a story that I, it was like a Walt Disney thing and it was like Goofy and Mrs. Goofy. <laughs> and uh, she was saying about how he doesn't appreciate what she does. And he was basically saying, you know, well, you don't really do anything. You just sit around the house all day. And then she said, well, let's switch roles for a day. Mm-hmm. And of course, the point of the story is he just could not cope with, you know, and <laughs> this is like really hard. And I, I've kind of like underestimated what's involved here. And I think, you know, that, that has been the case for a lot of older guys like me that we don't really understand what, you know, women do who are homemakers. And it's uh, people tend to not value that. And it's, it's mm-hmm. a really important work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just, it, and it has been very um, lopsided and, mm-hmm. and okay. So we're not trying to tell you that we all need to, to go on strike. That's, that's <laughs> not the point of this podcast, but I did think that's that short story was such a good example of how it was women who were holding up that church. Yeah. The, the backbone of the church was women. Yeah. And so they were the ones that were supporting the church and keeping it together. And that's the case today as well is that it is largely women who are keeping these churches together. And so we are often the ones who are supporting and enabling mm-hmm. churches that can end up hurting. Much like the church in the strike of Putney, you know, a lot of these churches are willing to take women's tithe money, women's time, women's mm-hmm. resources, women's volunteer hours, their gifts, their services. The only thing they won't actually take is their like opinion. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. they won't, they won't actually allow women to speak, they allow women to do everything else. And mm-hmm. and it's, it's not fair if you're not, it's not fair. Well, and it's also not what God ever intended. No, it's not. Because, you know, God gave all of us gifts mm-hmm. and we have no mediator between God and humanity, mm-hmm. except for Jesus Christ. Exactly. Women do not have a special mediator mm-hmm. in their husbands. We, we all have unfettered access to Jesus and Jesus has called us all to do the things that he has equipped us for. And and the Holy Spirit has given us gifts which are not gender specific. Mm-hmm. And that has been really uh, not taught well and not lived out mm-hmm. in church. And so I thought we could just share some of the things personally that we as a family has have gone through as we, you know, over the last, gosh, how long is it now? 15 years as we've really been grappling with some of this and how we realized that we were supporting stuff and propping stuff up that we didn't agree with. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, we had been going to this one church for nine years. We've, I've talked about it a bit on the podcast. Uh, we were really heavily involved. I was leading a praise team. Keith, I think you and I taught youth Sunday school yeah, for probably. a while, yeah. for a year or two. Um, I think one of the kids we taught Sunday school with is now at your church. <laughs> you know, um, Our favorite kid actually is now at your church. Um, And, you know, we were, we we just did so much. We volunteered so heavily in that church and yet um, they just didn't allow women's voices. You know, that, that deacons board debated for a year, whether I was allowed to say anything between songs as I was leading worship because Mm -hmm. I was a woman. And they use, they use language to make it sound nice. Mm -hmm. Oh, we just want to follow God's principles of leadership Mm -hmm. as opposed to we want to exclude women from positions of leadership. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or we don't, we would rather not hear a prayer than hear a woman pray. Well, they wouldn't say it that blatantly. Exactly. That's what I mean. Everyone would realize that that's what they're saying, but they say, you know, it's, it's, yeah. If you just call it for what it is, mm-hmm. they all get very uncomfortable and they try to get you to stop talking about it rather than addressing the issues that you're bringing up. Exactly. Yeah. 
And, and I also know that there were women who went um, to get help for abusive marriages and the elders, not the pastor, the pastor was pretty good at that point, but the elders told her to go back and submit more. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I remember um, realizing that we stayed in that church because we thought we could change it. Like yeah, we thought, we thought, there good people here. We thought there's good people there and we can, by being here, we're helping the church. But I realized we were giving all of this money to the church that was being used to hire, you know, pastors who, cause some of the other pastors were not as great. Um, it was being used to promote programs where, where teens were taught really bad stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> by volunteering we were creating these amazing programs for kids. We were creating good worship so that when someone walked into the church, it seemed like a really vibrant, good church. Like we were making this church better. And what would happen if a woman went to this church, partly because of stuff we were doing, and then she was having trouble in her marriage and she went to the pastor for help. Mm -hmm. And she was told by that elders board to stay in that abusive marriage. Mm And what if she was there because of us? Mm. And I think we need to sit with that question for a minute Mm -hmm. is you may think that by staying, you can change things, but what if, because of all the work you're putting in, you are making the church seem healthy when Mm -hmm. it isn't because you are lending your seal, your reputation to that church. Like Keith, you and I are fairly well known in this. We live in a smaller town, you know, you're, you're pretty well known. And at that point I was writing a weekly column in newspaper, in a local newspaper, like we were both pretty well known. And so the fact that we were going to church meant, Hey, this is a good church because, you know, we were lending our reputation to it. And I just realized, yeah, people are coming here and they are getting hurt because of us. But, but like, why, why did it take us so long to leave? Cause it did take us quite a few years. And I think a lot of it is like, first of all, obviously you have friends there. Yeah. And that's hard. It's hard to leave your friends and family. And right. uh, we, we did find that when we left, most, most of, of our, our friends, friends ended up leaving too. <laughs> so that wasn't <laughs> as big an issue as we thought, but you know, a lot of times you stay because of friends often it's because of children's programs. Oh, I need to go to a place that's got good kids programs and youth group. I mean, that's one of the biggest things we hear, but that can really backfire. Yeah. I know that. For, for my experience in that same church, you know, we, I went to their youth group for a while, even after we'd left the church, because mm-hmm. it was like, quote unquote, the best youth group in the area. Yeah. And while I was there, the youth past the time was lauded for expanding the youth group, getting so many more kids in. It was so vibrant and, and ended up being an incredibly unsafe place for sexual abuse survivors. Mm-hmm. It, like, I obviously can't go into it, but mm-hmm. very, very unsafe. Yeah. And the number of people who were harmed, who went to that youth group, because it seemed so fun and there were so many people there. Mm-hmm. Like I also contributed to that as well, right? Like what if me and my friends had decided to go to the small struggling free Methodist <laughs> church's youth group with like the five kind of weird kids and like invite, like revitalize that one, Yeah, right? Instead of just going where it was easy. I, I think that there is a level where when I think back on the choices that we, that like that I even made or even with the things that I was involved with in Ottawa sometimes, um, How much of it is that I was failing to carry my own cross by giving up the convenience of really nice, shiny bits of church Mm -hmm. because it was going to be too, you know, difficult or inconvenient to go to a church that I knew was healthy and safe. 
Yeah. Like how much is that not us as Christians carrying our cross? Like if we're like, yeah, but I don't want to go to that church because it's got terrible worship. Okay. But what's more important, you having good worship or knowing that the church that you're going there, you're going to, is going to not harm someone who has been abused. Mm -hmm. Like what is more important as a Christian, a good kids program or a kids program that isn't going to groom the ones who, the children who come from like, you know, really difficult family situations because the kids program was great. It was not great for kids at risk. Yeah. Let me also say too, that this whole idea of going to a church because it's got a great youth program, even if you disagree with the church, I don't think we realize and plug big plug here for she deserves better. Our book, it's coming out April 18th. We're going to have some amazing pre-order bonuses, I think starting March 1st. Um, but, but it, it, please go pre-order it when you yes. pre-order it, it helps us so much because and it moves it on Amazon. You're guaranteed the lowest price. And also if you pre-order before we have the pre-order bonuses ready, you're still going to get the bonuses. Yeah. I mean, it just won't be available yeah. until like March 1st something. Yeah. So please, it, it, it helps us immensely. Yes. Um, and, and it's based on an all new survey. And if you thought great sex rescue was like, Whoa, like this is, this is even more so it's it's pretty intense, <laughs> it's pretty intense. but, um, we'll, we'll put it this way. This is great sex rescue written post great sex rescue. Mm-hmm. So we got even, we got, we got a lot firmer. We, 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 what's, what's the word thing about tea? We brought the tea or something. Oh my goodness. Yes. I'm There's... so gen, I'm so gen X. Yeah. I'm sorry. I don't know. <laughs> but... I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, But, you know, one of the things that we found is that youth group tends to be the most toxic part of the church. Yes. So you mean that in toxic churches, the youth groups are even more toxic? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can see that because I don't think every youth group is the most toxic part of the church. But but I think that what happens is teenagers are very, ex- like Rebecca said this on previous podcasts, teenagers are by nature extreme, right? Oh, yeah. Their, their emotions are very high. They see things in very extreme terms. And, and it's just because, you know, their prefrontal cortex hasn't totally matured yet and everything's a big deal. And so if you teach something in upstairs uh, and your youth group is downstairs, what's being taught downstairs is 10 times more concentrated. Mm -hmm. what's upstairs. I think that's what you're trying to say, right? Yeah, exactly. And think about what is it that youth groups talk about 90% of the time? Sex. Relationships and sex, right? (laughs) And so all the gendered stuff that we know leads to male entitlement, all the stuff about um, all boys struggle with lust. And so girls have to cover up uh, all the modesty messages, all of that stuff, which is, is, can be so harmful if it's not done right. (laughs) Um, All of that is magnified in youth group. And so if you stay at a church, which isn't healthy when it comes to um, gender issues, because it's got a good youth group, think about what you're doing for your kids. Mm -hmm. If your kids get on fire for Jesus in a toxic church, they are more likely to go to church camps that are, that can be even more extreme mm-hmm. than your church. They're more likely to go to youth rallies that can be even more extreme on these issues. Um, they're more likely to go to even uh, some Christian schools that can be more fundamentalist. Mm-hmm. And who are they likely to marry? Mm-hmm. You know, people who are even more so than you. And so you may be staying because you think it's got a really vibrant youth program, but you're, but who are your kids going to meet? Who yeah. are they going to hang out with? Yeah. In a vibrant youth program in a church that is dedicated to make sure women stay smaller than men. What are the kinds of youth in the youth program? Mm-hmm. And then there's one other reason people stay and that's that, well, the, the other churches don't preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. Our church is the, our, our church preaches the gospel. Now imagine everybody that, that you have 10 doctrinal beliefs. Obviously you don't like, we have more than that, we have more, <laughs> but let's just, let's just imagine there's 10. Okay. Yes. <laughs> um, for the sake of argument. Now, 
you already don't agree with your church. If you're going to one of these, mm-hmm. these um, more fundamentalist churches, you all, you already may not agree with your church on how it handles abuse, on how mm-hmm. it talks about gender, mm-hmm. on how it talks about marriage, on how it talks about divorce. Mm-hmm. You may not agree with your church on those things. So you're already going to a church you don't agree with doctrinally. And maybe that church down the street, which does handle abuse well, and which does handle gender well, maybe they see baptism differently than you do. Yeah. Or maybe they see the gifts of the spirit differently than you do. (laughs) And so, you know, you're like, well, I can't go there because that's not the way that I've been taught about God. But you're already giving on an issue. So like, which issues are you willing to give on? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's one of the things I would say is people often don't leave these churches because they're, they've been told from the pulpit, this is where Jesus is. Um, and if you go anywhere else, you are abandoning Jesus. Mm-hmm. And what we have seen recently is a massive movement like called deconstruction, where what has happened is people have seen all these things happening in the church, all these beliefs that are known to be toxic, are known to be hurtful, are known to be harmful. And They've been taught so conclusively that if you don't believe this, then you don't believe in Jesus. Things mm-hmm. like if you don't believe that women are less important than men, and they don't say that they think they, they say they think women are, women are this equal to men. It's just that women are equal to men, but they can't lead. And women are equal to men, but they have to submit to their husbands in everything, even if they're abusers mm-hmm. and all these kind of things. Um, or even like the issues, something like creation, right? If you don't believe the earth is 6,000 years old, you don't believe the Bible and therefore you don't believe in God and mm-hmm. therefore you cannot be saved. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people say, well, I guess I don't believe in God then. And they're leaving the church in droves. And instead of the church saying, whoa, maybe we're attaching things to Jesus that we shouldn't, they double down and they make fun of the people who are leaving saying, how can you didn't believe you know, if you, you don't believe in Jesus, you know, and, and I make fun of them and deride them. And it's, it's just like those of us who still believe in Jesus, but don't believe in all this nonsense, we really need to band together. And we need to say, no, you don't speak for us. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole idea that women must submit to men, like John MacArthur and, and John Piper say things like women shouldn't be police officers. Like what normal functioning adult <laughs> like, believes that like uh, like you know what i mean the council for for biblical manhood and womanhood says things that are ridiculously preposterous and Mm -hmm. we all know it's preposterous but we don't say anything because they're good bible teachers because it's piper but then you have to ask but you know if your theology results in a massive abuse scandal which is not only not only that women were abused but that systematically it was covered up for decades how, how are those people good bible teachers mm-hmm. you know so so but somehow but some of they still have to people convinced if you question anything we say you are out of the fold you are not with jesus we have to wake up we have to realize that you know what jesus isn't associated with that kind of stuff jesus doesn't want women to stay down i mean jesus Mary and Martha, right? Martha was doing all the housework. Mary was sitting there learning about the things of God. He commended Mary, right? Yep. That's that's what God wants. Well, and, something and I was thinking about over Christmas. Back in the kitchen. Sorry, I just want to say one thing. Churches that say basically women get back in the kitchen, they need to be told you are not from Jesus. 
And we need to stop being scared to say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something that I noted over Christmas was that, you know, both Jesus's birth and Jesus's death are punctuated by stories of women succeeding where men did not. Mm-hmm. Um, and that does not mean that, you know, so first of all, you have Zechariah who, mm-hmm. um, you know, laughed in the angel Gabriel's face pretty much. Yep. And he was struck mute until mm-hmm. John was born. It's like, yeah, I'll show you, you know, mm-hmm. you, you question me, you laugh at me. Yeah. No more talkie. See how you like that. <laughs> right. And then you have Mary in like the very next section mm-hmm. who humbles herself. It's like, well, I mean, yeah, let's do this. Like, <laughs> let it be unto me as you have said. And that's a really strong contrast. Then at the cross, you have Peter denying Christ. You have mm-hmm. the disciples running away and it's only the women and John who remain, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's, it's, you have these two stories at the two kind of big moments in a person's life, birth and death. Mm-hmm. And who's there in the gospels? It's women. And this doesn't mean that men shouldn't be in leadership. Doesn't mean that men can't be trusted. But it, I, to me, what it says is in this culture that this Bible was written in, where women were seen as unreliable, they were not supposed to be in charge, they couldn't do these big things that men did, they were just women, and they were seen as genuinely lesser beings. They mm-hmm. were seen as, in essence, deformed men. Yeah, That is what women were seen as back then. Yeah. The gospels open with a young girl doing what a priest could not, and mm-hmm. they end with women doing what the 12 could not. Yeah. So it, I just don't understand how we can read the gospels and see what, like what is included and see the story of Christ's life and how people can conclude that therefore Jesus wants women to be silent when throughout Jesus's story, it is women who step up Mm -hmm. in a culture that says that they weren't even capable of doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The Samaritan woman too. Yeah. You know, and to think that Jesus would want not only women to be silent, but women to be objectified mm-hmm. and hurt because we know that objectification is one of the main doctrines of, of churches today that yeah, it's women not even, are sexualized. It's not even like just something that happens because of bad doctrine. That actually is the doctrine. Mm-hmm. The things that we measured in our survey are things like a woman should give her husband sex when he wants it. You yeah. know, women have to have sex to keep their husband from watching pornography. Yeah. Um, you know, men simply struggle with less. It's every man's battle. Women should like, there's all yeah. sorts of things where the doctrine is that God designed that men take and women give when yes. it comes to sex and women's bodies. Men mm-hmm. take women's bodies and women give their bodies. Yes. That's the that's the doctrine behind this. This isn't even like, oh, so they believe some bad things and so then women are objectified. No, they believe that women are objectified and so therefore women are objectified. <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. <laughs> and <laughs> big shout out to Great Sex Rescue is on sale. The Kindle version, well, actually the, the ebook version across all platforms for $2.99 for the entire month of January. Are you serious? That's awesome. Yeah. So if you have not read The Great Sex Rescue yet, please do. You know, uh, we had a comment at the end of 2022, where a woman said that she never bought it because she figured it was just like a bunch of stats and kind of academic. <laughs> and then when it went on sale for $2.99 briefly um, in November, she bought it and she was like, oh my gosh, this is so readable. And it's yeah. got so many stories. And I feel like I know you guys so much better. So we we haven't even scratched the surface of what we say in the Great mm-hmm. Sex Rescue in this podcast. So please, three dollars. It's a great time to get it. It's like half of one. Starbucks if you already right, own a paperback version, buy the Kindle because you can use the search function. I do this all the time yeah. for books that I really like. If I ever want to find stuff, I get the Kindle version because you can use the 
the uh, the fine button. So anyway, just a quick thing. So yes, yeah, so these churches are actually teaching that women are objectified. Okay, and so let's let's get back to the strike at Putney. Yes, and get back to that question: What would happen if we all just stopped? Mm-hmm. Now, the strike at Putney worked because they were all connected. Yeah. Right. They all banded together. It wouldn't have worked if it was just a couple of women. Right. And, and so that's why like, realistically, most of us can't like do a strike in our church. Cause we could never get all the women to agree. <laughs> you know, but a lot of women are in charge of something really important. Yeah. A lot of churches, if they lose one worship leader, that mm-hmm. actually screws a lot of stuff up. It does. Yeah. So, you know, so, so we, but, and, but the other thing is we need to understand sometimes when you're in the middle of that of a toxic church or a church that, that just is not teaching this well, and you think you're going to change things. We don't always realize that we are the majority. Yes. We are the majority. Okay. Um, let me give you just one example in our stats from our survey of 20,000 women, we asked is divorce valid in the case of physical abuse? All right. 83% said yes. Mm-hmm. Is it valid in the case of emotional abuse? 76% said yes. I would like to see that number higher, but I'll take 76% as a starter. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Do you know what? John Piper, John MacArthur, focus on the family, all say you cannot divorce for physical abuse. And they're not the only ones. The majority of SBC churches also say that. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the denomination as a whole, the stances that they you can't they, only, they don't, yeah. the denomination as a whole is a little bit more difficult, but please, if you go to an SBC church, if you go to an, an independent fundamentalist Baptist church, if you go to some of these more conservative churches, ask your pastor what the stance is yeah. about divorce for abuse. You may be surprised. And remember that if they do not believe you can divorce for physical or emotional abuse, it means that when women go to their pastor for counseling, cause that's where women in crisis usually go first mm-hmm. is to their pastor they will be told things that will hurt them. Mm-hmm. They will be. And, and even if your pastor agrees that divorce is a good idea. And a lot of these churches, it's not actually the pastor who makes the call. Yeah. It's the elders or the deacons or whatever you call or them. the counseling services, the yeah. counseling services that, that are recommended. So like 85% of evangelicals believe you can divorce for abuse. Focus on the family does not. What would happen if we all stopped giving money to focus on the family? Until they changed this. And instead gave that money to a local pregnancy crisis center, to a local women's shelter, to an organization fighting sex trafficking. Yeah, we're not like, like, I think that what's important to say is a lot of people who don't like the deconstructions movement or who get mad when people start to like stop volunteering or something, they say, well, you know, you, you have to, you have to do things. You have to tithe, you have to give to the kingdom. And my question is just, yes, I agree. We should be giving, we should mm-hmm. live. We should be cheerful givers. Why does it need to be to places that are harming people? Mm-hmm. Right? Like if we know that focus on the family has a crisis marriage line and that focus on the family will not tell people to get divorced. Mm-hmm. I actually think it's unethical to give them money because that means that you are giving them money to tell women who are being abused that they cannot leave their abuser. Mm-hmm. Like that is horrible. Yeah. Why wouldn't you give that money to fighting sex trafficking or to, yeah, helping uh, crisis pregnancy centers or to helping with unhoused people in your city? Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't you give that money to places where you know that they're not going to be sending abused women back to their abusers? A lot of people understand spoon theory. Okay. We we talk about this in like chronic health conditions and like chronic fatigue and things where in the beginning of the day, we all have the same number of spoons. Okay. So Mm -hmm. I have 10 spoons to get stuff done. Okay. Problem is if you have fibromyalgia, 
Mm-hmm. Getting out of bed might require two spoons. Right. Whereas for everyone else, it doesn't even take a spoon. Yes. <laughs> you just get out of bed. Right. Yes. And so the problem is we only have so many spoons. And that's why like chronic illnesses are so difficult is because things that are basic, like making yourself breakfast takes four spoons mm-hmm. when it should only take one spoon. And at the mm-hmm. end of the day, you just don't have enough spoons to get everything done. Right. Okay. We, when it comes to our giving, our time, our efforts, we only have so many spoons. Yes. We are not magical unicorn beings who have an unlimited number of spoons. You have 24 hours in the day. Mm-hmm. You have only as much money as you are given by your uh, salary. You have your bills to pay. We have so many spoons. Say you mm-hmm. have 10 giving spoons between your time and your money, all that different stuff. Okay. And you spend five of those spoons with the church. You run a women's Bible study. You give your money there. You show up for the bake sales. You do mm-hmm. the church stuff for five spoons. And then one spoon is helping like your great aunt Margaret, who's going into a home and you have two spoons what you use for like the local PTA board. You have one spoon that like you help with that kid down the road where you're pretty sure is in a great family situation and you let them mm-hmm. come to your house as much as you can. You try to kind of help parent them a little bit. And then you have Been one there, spoon. Done that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then you have one, your last spoon you give to like, you know, uh, another aging family member who needs help just with stuff every now and then. And mm-hmm. you're happy to do it. So that's your 10 spoons. But what happens if now half of your spoons have gone towards a church where you have built up this amazing women's program and then you have a bunch of young moms from the area coming and it's so amazing and you're seeing so many people coming to church and you're feeling so encouraged and three of those women are in marriages where one of them has a husband who has a really severe um, pornography addiction that he's asking her to act out in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. You have one woman who the mental load is so bad, like the mental load inequality is so bad that she's overwhelmed and her husband keeps getting fired from work because he keeps being lazy and meet- and missing deadlines. And instead of looking for a job, he's spending 16 hours a day video gaming and not helping with the babies. Mm-hmm. And then you have one woman who's being emotionally abused by a man who is using Bible verses and um, manipulation and withholding affection and love as a way to control her and get her to do what he wants. Yeah. Those three women are now in your church going to this Bible study and they go to the pastor, they go to the biblical counseling services that are at this church. So they may not have gone there if it wasn't for you and your five spoons. Right. And what they told the one with the sex, with the sex addicted husband, who's being asked to fulfill his pornographic fantasies is being told, well, I mean, there's not anything biblically against that. Or are you, and are you, and maybe you need to give him more sex. Maybe you need to give him more sex. Maybe you're just being a little bit withholding. Like, yeah, have you really been having as much sex since you had the twins? Like, (laughs) you know, you can't really, he doesn't change. Like he's still a man, you know? And these are all things that we've heard from our focus groups, by the way. And then the woman who is overwhelmed because her husband is just playing video games all day and keeps on losing jobs. And she has the entire family on her shoulders is being told is given love and respect, which says that she needs to understand that her making more money than him is disrespectful to him. And Mm -hmm. so she needs to make sure to respect him more and to shove down her own needs more so that he doesn't feel disrespected by her success. Right. And then you have the woman whose husband is just flat out a narcissistic abuser who's using spiritual manipulation to get her to comply. Mm-hmm. And what she told, well, you are supposed to submit. Yeah. He's right. Are you, are you being a nagging wife? Like it says in the Proverbs, mm-hmm. are you being respectful of him? Like maybe, maybe we can work on this together, but if you do submit to him and respect him, he will love you in turn and God will honor you. And even God if will he honor never you. changes, you will get your reward in heaven. Exactly. And so you have now spent five of your spoons that God has given you. <laughs> You have five, you have given half of your spoons to this church where, yeah, a lot of people are going to the church, but as a result, 
women are being decimated. Yeah. <laughs> like these women are being just destroyed. And the question is, what if you had spent those five spoons and, you know, you had volunteered somewhere else? Yeah. You'd what? gone to one of these struggling churches that could really use you. Yeah. What if you had started like, you know, a young mom's like get together group with your local, like, you know, I don't know, a local smaller church or even a community center or something. And you talked about Jesus and mm-hmm. it was affiliated with a church. Sure. But it wasn't with a church that was going to then harm the women. And at some point we have to recognize if we are people who, who know what is healthy and good, and we are leading lambs to wolves mm-hmm. that we are the hired hand that they're talking about in scripture. Yeah. Like the good shepherd cares for the sheep. The hired hand doesn't. The hired Mm -hmm. hand will give the sheep to the wolves because they're getting their money. Mm -hmm. And at some point we need to recognize that if we are willing to bring sheep into a wolf's den, we are complicit. Yeah. And that's hard to grasp. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think there's kind of two ways we can look at the whole issue of women in the church. Right. And one of them is that men and women both have talents and things that God has gifted them with. And they're both supposed to use those talents. And the other viewpoint is that women are basically just assistants to men. Um, And maybe that's a little bit of a stark way of putting it, but that's kind of the way I see it. And, And what, you know, I've been around on this planet for over 50 years now, and I've seen over the time of my life, the people who believed in full equality between men and women have debated with the people who believe that men are supposed to be in charge and women are supposed to submit to them for that whole time. And I remember from 30 years ago, what was being argued by the the hierarchicalists is you have no biblical support for your viewpoint. And what was being argued by the people who were looking for equality was, but women are getting hurt. And what I've seen 30 years later is a tremendous amount of scholarship saying that, you know, a lot of these passages were misinterpreting. Let's take, for example, the passage on divorce. The reason that focus in the family does not agree with divorce in the case of abuse is because the Bible clearly says God hates divorce, except that the Bible doesn't clearly say that. And Mm -hmm. and it was speaking into a time where women couldn't divorce because women were dependent upon men. To divorce your husband was basically to assign yourself to poverty and hunger. Mm -hmm. So the, the injunction that God was saying about divorce was saying to men, do not abandon women and put them in harm's way. And yet what's happening now is we're using that exact same verse that God spoke to save and uplift and help women to keep women in horrible situations where they're being physically beaten by men. And then then they have the goal to say, you have no biblical support for your viewpoint. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. So we need to start saying, you know what? If the gospel you're preaching is that women are less than men, it's not the gospel. And I'll go to that church down the street that believes in infant baptism or (laughs) that, you know, that sprinkles instead of dunks or whatever, because like I, that's where Jesus is. Jesus is not in the business of putting people in harm's way. Jesus Mm -hmm. said, whoever you causes these little ones to stumble, it's better for them to have a millstone tied around their neck. I mean, he's not, he's in the business of protecting the vulnerable, not subjecting the vulnerable to further abuse. I mean, it's crazy. Exactly. And I just want to reiterate too, the majority of people agree with us. Yeah. Yeah. They, you know, 
we get this idea that that we're the minority because the the upper echelons of evangelicalism, conservative evangelicalism, preach that women are less than. Mm-hmm. But you know, our study found of twenty thousand people that fifty three percent, or sorry, fifty two percent of people believe that that women can be a teaching pastor. Mm-hmm. And we had more conservative people filling out our surveys than yeah. normal. There was a study out of Harvard um, that looked at people of all denominations, and they found that I think it was close to. 75, let me just pull it up, that three quarters of SBC women believe that women can be pastors. Yeah. Three quarters of SBC women. Um, again, we were more likely to have conservative people yes. filling out our survey. They just had churchgoers in general. Yeah. <laughs> we were more likely to have people that were really heavily involved, but even we had like, you know what, over 50% of women think that women can be can be pastors at, uh, at and, this church that does not believe in letting women be pastors. Yeah. And yeah. well, that's overall, if you, if you look at just the Southern Baptists, we had lower, but, but okay. they looked at Southern okay. Baptist women and they had 73%. Um, and what they found, interestingly, that was a higher percentage of men, but interestingly, they found the more that men went to church, the less they believed in women in leadership. It didn't change for women, but the more men went to church, the less they believed in women in leadership. And so, you know, by, by propping up these churches, the more we get involved, the more you start seeing women as less than in these denominations, we are the majority. And what would happen if everybody who disagreed with their church on these fundamental issues, if they started pouring in (laughs) to other churches that are healthy, or they just did their own strike where those churches didn't have a worship team anymore. They didn't have like how many of these churches that are mm-hmm. saying women are not as worthy of serving as men are, have yeah. women who are running their children's ministries, have women who are running all sorts of things. Yeah. But if they just said, okay, then if you really believe that men are supposed to be the ones who serve and lead, then find men to serve and lead. Yeah. Okay. Let me do a research of the week segment here. Okay. Cause I want to I want to tell you some research that, that, that um, feeds into this. This is from the American sociological review from 2021. It's an article called when religion hurts structural sexism and health in religious congregations. Um, and, and I'm going to summarize it. Okay. Or actually, why don't you, cause you know this better than Yeah, me. I'll summarize it. So pretty much what Holman found is, you know, overall we have known for a very long time going to church leads to better health. You actually have longer life expectancy if you go to church. Mm -hmm. Like that's actually been found in multiple, multiple studies. There's lots of different ones. You have better mental health benefits. You better, uh, uh, you know, even there've been studies on hypertension goes down. If you are a church attender, there's lots of studies on this, but Holman wanted to find whether or not structural sexism affects that. Right. So what they looked at was whether or not a woman was in a church that limited her capacity to lead based on gender Mm -hmm. and then their health outcomes. Mm -hmm. And what she found was that men had great health outcomes across the board. Right. It didn't matter if men were going to a church that believed women could be in leadership or not. Mm -hmm. Men had great uh, health benefits. Women only had health benefits if they were going to churches that allowed women in um, leadership positions. Yeah. Women did not have those same health benefits if they went to churches that structurally and systematically kept them out of the positions of leadership and quieted women's voices for the sake of men's. Yeah. So what this really shows is here, actually, you know, woman herself wrote it great in the abstract. Let me just just read read the last sentence of the abstract. Okay. Our results suggest that the health benefits of religious participation do not extend to groups that are systematically excluded from power and status within their religious institutions. Yeah. Like that's intense. Yeah. Okay. So let me tell you, along with that, 
Okay. This is not research of the week. This is just like, like a Twitter thread <laughs> that was interesting, but I read Twitter a Twitter thread, thread of the week, <laughs> you know, Twitter thread yesterday. Um, and I can't find it now. So, I, but, but basically he was talking about people who are really hardcore campers, outdoor enthusiasts. And he was saying, you know what they do when they're going to stay overnight in the wilderness is they sleep on a geothermal mat of some sort. Mm -hmm. And they don't do this just for comfort. Yeah. They do this because if you don't, your body will try to warm up the entire earth. Yes. Because <laughs> heat goes out to try to, to even out. Right. And the ground is cold. And so your body will just shed heat trying to warm up the earth underneath it. And it can't because the earth is so big. And when you are in a church that is just eating the life out of you, you have these churches that are so willing to take your service, your time, your everything, but they won't actually echo it back. Mm -hmm. in the same way, because you're a woman, you will always have a limit on you. You yeah. will always be seen as less than, and it doesn't matter if your church is filled with lovely people. Yeah. What this study has found is that being in a religious setting where you are seen as inferior because of your sex means that a lot of the benefits of religiosity are lost and yeah. not just for you, but for your daughter. Yeah. Not just for your daughter, but also your daughter-in-law someday. Mm -hmm. you know, for your grandchildren, for all the people who matter to you, for your friend who's really struggling and yeah. who you're desperately trying to bring back to Christ. If you bring her to a church that says that she is less than, you are bringing her to a church that will not help her in some ways. Like, yeah, and it's, it's just so difficult. It's so tricky. Yeah. And so as 2023 begins, I believe God is saying to some of you who are listening right now, that it is time to stop supporting churches and organizations that hurt women. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that looks like for you in particular. I'm not saying we're all called to leave toxic churches, yeah. you know, in any big campaign, <laughs> there are people who are called to all different things. Yeah. You know, Corey Ten Boom in World War II was called to hide Jews, but she was an extreme pacifist yep. and would not pass on the names of collaborators to the underground for fear that they'd get killed and she'd be responsible for it. Other people were those like underground who were going around killing the collaborators, you know, <laughs> like, like well, there's all different people who are all called to different things. But some of you God has been nudging you to leave your church and consider this podcast, that confirmation <laughs> for some of you, it might be even a bigger thing. Maybe your church is part of a denomination or a convention that is toxic and you yourself, your church is awesome, but what's going to happen when your young people leave for college across the country, they're going to try to find a church just like yours because they love your church and they're going to go to a church of your denomination mm -hmm. and they're going to get burned because you're lending your reputation or else they'll become the people who do the burning. Yeah. So like maybe your church needs to leave mm -hmm. or maybe you need to stop running ministries or maybe you need to start running ministries. We've heard from so many women who got put in charge of the libraries of their church, mm -hmm. like deliberately last year. They said, I worked to get in charge of the library so that I could purge it of all the toxic stuff and put good books in there. There was one person that was the best ever. She took a before and after picture of the, of the marriage shelf and it was stocked full. And then she took an everything out. And the only things there were boundaries, the emotionally destructive marriage and great sex rescue. And I think how we love it. It was like, it wasn't even able to be a shelf anymore because everything was so bad in the library. Yeah. But like, like, I don't know what God is calling you to do, 
But I do know that what Beth Allison Barr said is so true. Mm -hmm. This will only end when we stop supporting it. And we are the majority. And I think that a lot of women support it because we've been told as women in the church for so long that our job is to serve. Mm -hmm. That is our God-given like responsibility is just to serve. And I think that, you know, we, we hear Jesus saying, you know, don't throw your pearls before swine, mm-hmm. right? Don't throw your pearls. Don't, don't put all this effort towards people who aren't going to appreciate it. And we, and we don't take that into, into heart because we've been told you don't have any pearls. Mm-hmm. You have volunteer hours, you have time, you have all the stuff that you can give us, but you don't actually have pearls because <laughs> you're a woman. Yeah. Men have pearls. Yeah. Right. But you don't have pearls. You have pearls. Like, yeah. Somewhere where you can use them for good and where you'll be appreciated and where you can rest assured knowing that the efforts that you are taking are not leading sheep to wolves, mm-hmm. but are freeing them mm-hmm. and setting them up for success and wholeness and health. And you do not have to leave the church to do that. You might have to leave your church, mm-hmm. but you don't have to leave the church. Mm-hmm. One of the things that, you know, you guys also, you, you talked about how you get criticized that you're actually the majority and people make it sound like you're an extreme thing. The other thing you get criticized for is being anti-men. Mm-hmm. So for instance, you gave up these scenarios like the porn addicted husband, the 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 man who's playing video games all day, all that kind of stuff. Um, and people use that to say that you think all men are like that. And you, you don't. I mean, most men are not like that. Mm-hmm. The problem is that in the church, there are men like that. And nobody's doing anything about it. Really? You know, and, and we as men need to start saying, no, what's right is right. And, and if women are not being given what they deserve in the church, we need to stand up for that. I mean, mm-hmm. the whole idea, like if you come to the Bible with the, with the preconceived notion that men are more important than women, you will read all those verses from that lens. If you come to the Bible with the assumption that men and women are equal, you will read the Bible with that lens. And I personally am sick and tired of people who are patriarchal hierarchicalists telling me I don't read the Bible clearly because I don't follow the plain reading of scripture, right? Mm-hmm. And then they ignore Galatians, which says that there is no male or female. And they ignore the stuff I just said about you know divorce being actually to protect women. They ignore all these things because they just have their own biased viewpoint. And they say that I'm biased. If, if I'm the biased one, when people point out the actual flaws, like the rampant sexual abuse in the SBC and the complete cover-up of that, why is there not a soul-searching moment? Why is there not a, what did we do wrong? Maybe these people who've been saying that we've been treating women inappropriately for so long, maybe they actually have a point. I don't see that happening. Mm-hmm. I don't see that happening. We as men need to stand beside our sisters and say, you know what? You should be protected. The church should be a safe place for you. And and we just, we have to stop. Silence is not spiritual Mm -hmm. for men and women. We need to speak up. You know, and and we've been talking about what to do for other people, Mm -hmm. right? How you don't want to throw your pearls before swine. But remember that you're a person too. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us have been bleeding. And we have had all the heat <laughs> try to, you know, go out of us as we're trying to help everybody else. And a lot of us are starting 2023 exhausted. Yeah. Spiritual burnout is real. Yeah. And maybe what God is calling you to do is just to stop and have a quiet year. Maybe this can be your Sabbath year. Yeah. Take this as a Sabbath year. And like- just <laughs> reflect and see Jesus again, you know? Uh, and so, like I said, I don't know what this is going to look like for everybody. 
Some of you just might need to restock. Maybe you need to speak up when your women's Bible studies are looking at really damaging books this year, because we did find that the place where women hear the most damaging messages is in women's Bible studies in small groups. So maybe you need to speak up there. Maybe you need to speak up on social media when your church posts John Piper quotes. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I don't know what it is, but may this be the year that we stop supporting toxic stuff and we get back to Jesus's view exactly of how we value women. So that is what we're going to do on Bear Marriage coming up in 2023. We have we have a lot of fun things um planned this year. On the blog we're starting our entitlement series, mm-hmm. um how to get over uh this whole idea that anyone, be it your husband or your wife exists to make your life better. Mm-hmm. Um and and how that can lead to toxicity in marriage both ways. We have a great fixed it for you book which is launching in February. I'm so excited about that. She deserves better is coming in April. So there's so much happening both on the podcast and online um in 2023 and please check us out. Uh there's been so much happening in our patron group. We're going to have a patron update for you on next week's podcast. But if you want to support us for as little as $5 a month, it's a great space, our Facebook group, and the money goes to help support our research. So you can see that at patreon.com slash fair marriage. Something that I've loved about the patron over the last almost two years now too, is how many people are just genuine community. Yes. Like it's it's a genuine community at this point. It's really lovely. Yeah. So please check that out. Um, But thank you for joining us on this first podcast. And I want to end where we started with just this simple question for all of us. What would happen if we all just stopped?